listening to episode 171 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season two of TNT's The Librarians. And uh, tonight we're here to talk about Librarians season two, episode three, titled The Librarians and What Lies Beneath the Stones. But, hey, we're going to finally get to talk a little bit about Westworld. Yeah, we teased everybody backed out and then some of the, some of you guys out there said hey come on talk about it for a few minutes at least sure and so we're going to talk about it for a few minutes probably actually more than a few minutes but. probably more than a few minutes but before we get into that as always send us an email sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com check us out at the website where you can also leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab record your own audio clip send the mp3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. Now, and join the resistance. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Now, if you consider episode titles spoilerish, then you know hold your ears for about thirty seconds or so well, because you might we hold have them and say na 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 na. Yeah. Time. So we got titles for the first two episodes of the Librarians, episode one. And The Rise of Chaos is going to air on November 20th. And for the first time in three seasons, there's not going to be a double episode that night. And I, I know you're kind of disappointed in that. Disappointed? Yes and no. You know, like, in the one, I love the double episodes because, I mean, basically, the more of the librarians, the better. You know, I, I love to sit down for two hours and spend time with these characters. Um, but on the other hand... How many times did they do that? They did that like what two, three times last season, right? Yeah, I mean, we were talking a ten-episode season. That that's three weeks. You have over half the episodes done. Yeah, sure. You know? And then, like, I remember last year when the librarians was finished. I'm like, I feel like it just started and and it's already done, and and it you know it had. So, I guess I don't mind that. Hopefully, the season will be a little bit longer. Um, but otherwise, uh, I will miss the, uh, yeah, the two hour episodes. Cause I like that a lot. Yep. Now following it a week later, episode 302, the librarians and the fangs of death will air on the 27th of November. And that's all we've got so far. Yeah, so that's an awesome. That last title is awesome though, man. The fangs of death. That's great. Yeah. Serpent brotherhood perhaps. Yeah. Or vampires. Or vampires. There you go. And we know how you love vampires. Yeah. Well, they, they need to follow with a zombie episode. I'll be okay. There you go. All right. Well, listen, before we wow everybody with our uh, witty banter, let's let's get into Westworld a little bit. And I well, don't really know cut that down the witty banter this second time around, though, Dave, I feel. I, I, I know. <laughs> now, I don't know if there's been a more hyped television show than Westworld. I mean, perhaps the return of the X-Files. Uh, but they well, and the, it, uh, the the new Firefly show that they just announced the the Firefly yeah. one, right so and that's going to be on Fox again yeah, or no it's not doesn't it's not, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I again I'm sorry that's no no Firefly no new Firefly show I'm for those of you whose whose hearts just leapt up through your 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 mouths I I apologize we do get a Firefly reference though in the librarian yeah. episode we're going to talk how about cool tonight. was that that was very cool. that was awesome. Now, HBO has placed Westworld in Game of Thrones time slot on Sundays at 9 p.m. We're recording this on Sunday, so episode two will air tonight, even though they released it a few days early on their HBO Go app. I didn't watch it. I know you didn't watch yeah, no. it. So I mean, I'm still still uh, trying to finish out Luke Cage. 
Right. So we're really just going to talk about the pilot episode called The Original. And, you know, at this point, like a number of shows, certainly including humans, Westworld explores artificial consciousness. And at what point do we consider an artificial consciousness in the same way as a human being? And and so far, it's really compelling what they've shown us. Sure, absolutely. I mean, not just uh, hu- I mean, obviously, humans is the you know the the major major. One. That's like such a prevalent theme for that show. Uh, but even dark matter, right? Sure, uh, with, with the uh, android, right? You know, they they put that new tech in there so that she could appear as if she were a human, like she's indistinguishable from other humans. And she's kind of like, I mean, she still has the tech, but she she has realized that it was like too much, you know, right? But she's, she's still having dreams and everything. And, and I th- you had mentioned the first time we <laughs> recorded this that the interpersonal relationships she's developing with the crew and and how she feels toward the crew is certainly beyond what a machine would would do, you know? Right, and or, and what she was programmed for and I guess at the heart of it, that that's what gets explored a lot in this first episode episode of Westworld. No, it was an episode. It was. <laughs> is that they were programmed. And, and of course, there is a bit of improvisation that they can react differently to, you know, different nuances in a particular scenario. But that said, we're in this world in the near future in which the ultra rich can go and pay to basically have every desire they may have indulged in some way. Sure. You want to kill a guy? Go for it. You want to have yeah. sex with a robot? Go for it. Well, and that idea even comes up later in that episode that are they making the hosts too human like? Right. Yeah, do you really want to feel like you're actually killing a person, right? You want to have that disconnect. You want to think it was just a machine. It it wasn't real. I didn't actually end someone. Or, you know, is, I, I can't imagine a, a woman thinking it was okay for her husband to go and have sex with a robot rather than another human being. I, I'm not sure exactly how the one is better than the other, but he seemed to insinuate that, you know, like, you know that spouses would be more okay with the uh, the other spouse going off to do it with a robot than with a something that seemed more human right and it'll be interesting to see where they go uh, for instance will they look at the human cost of going to some place like westworld i mean look we see the man in black played in the tv series by ed harris and as opposed to the film right yul brenner sure. was he was a host, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, it's, I'm still trying to figure out like what Ed Harris is, you know, because he's, I mean, he, he appears to be a human uh, and, and not a host. I guess guest they call him, right? I guess that's a euphemism they use. But also he seems like to be kind of like outside the system, you know, like no one even mentions him. Like all the people in, in, in charge, like he's doing some pretty messed up stuff, right? Right, and he's been coming there for thirty years, so you you see the level of observation that you know the the tech crew has, so they have to know what he's been doing. I would but, think, but it seems that they don't. Like, does anyone comment on him, or they don't care? Yeah, I I don't know. Or is he 
actually is is he not a guest? Is he? I, I don't it, that. Well, well, at this that, point, that, that, how, that, I mean, just that issue alone could probably take up ten episodes. Well, sure. Know? And at this point, we'd have to say that he's probably a human because when Teddy fires at him, right, he can't hit him, and, and of but course, that, that, but that that doesn't necessarily mean it. It, right? it doesn't. You're right. You're right. So, it, you know, has Dr. Robert Ford, played by Anthony Hopkins, has he in his update? Robert Ford, holy crap! I just that just hit me. Okay, the uh, uh, Jesse James, the guy who killed Jesse James. Oh, okay, right. I I'll trust you on like that. The, that does there's sound no familiar. way they picked that name like at random. Okay, there's no way they just made that. I mean, it's totally like he's a guy. Yeah, Robert Ford. Right. Yeah. Bob Ford, and, and obviously who, who shot he, down Jesse James. He's introduced a new update that seems to be causing some sort of problems, you know, w- within the uh, Westworld uh, universe. Uh, we we also have Jeffrey Wright playing Bernard Lowe, who seems to be kind of the the top, you know, on the ground scientist and programmer, and he certainly answers to Doctor Robert Ford, as well as answering to Teresa Cullen played by Sid C. Babbitt Knudsen, who, again, is a great character. And, and, you know, we get that scene because, on the one hand, if this is all it is, this pleasure park, something going wrong with the robots, they're rebelling against their creators, okay, that's cool, but we've seen it dozens of times. Right. Right, so there's got to be something more, and we get that scene where she meets with, I guess it's like her number two, that uh, as you described them, the annoying English guy, <laughs> and he seems to imply that there's something else going on here at Westworld, that you know that it's something different for the shareholders, something different for the corporate executives, and that she kind of agrees. But he can't really figure it out. So is there, you know, are, are, look, it's not going to surprise me if somehow the military ends up being involved somehow. Sure. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's, 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 there's stuff happening here, man. We don't even know what it is. Well, you know, and also what I like about that, that English guy, you know, like when he prepared this whole speech for the, the bad guys at the end of the whole uh, bank robbery um, scenario and everything. And, uh, but what happens is the, the human, the guest kills the guy before his chance to do the speech. And so it's, which we see this theme all the time in, in Michael Crichton's book is like, uh, or books, I should say that, you know, certainly Jurassic Park, that no matter how well you plan something out, you know, there's, there's no way you can plan for everything. Right. Exactly. And, and that's on the one hand, the beauty of watching this unfold of course it's a nightmare for uh bernard and his team anthony hopkins character dr ford seems to take it all in stride as if he expected it oh he's just like an old guy he's just like i don't care now (laughs) i'm wondering are we going to follow dolores as she gradually becomes self-aware i mean certainly that seems to be what the case is with her and and we get that whole idea already self-aware dude what's that i think she's already self-aware well she's becoming i mean you know and, and they bring it up in that their brains are i guess the analogy would be like a computer hard drive where no matter how well you think you erase something there are still fragments and bits there and are they bleeding through and i would go back to dollhouse 
and, and what happens right. to Echo? Sure, sure. Is that they think they erase her engagements, but there's always something, some sort of artifact left there. Right. Well, and, and just of the original person too, which is ultimately what, what undoes the whole thing is that she's able to recall who she actually is. Well, that's some wonder if it's going on with Dolores, right? Does she, you know, because she's the oldest, right? She, I mean, we think she's, we, we get the impression that she's a very new host because she's young. Right. right, and the the character she plays with every day seems to be a kind of naive, eyes wide open, optimistic type of character that we characteristics that we assume are the very young, but we find out that she's the oldest model in the park. Right, right, and so, and, and we learn from I think it was her father that he'd been in all sorts of different scenarios, not just as her father. So maybe the same was with her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so if she's been around that, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, obviously there is way more to the host than, than what appears, right? Sure. As I said, like they, like they they could be, have all kinds of stuff deep down inside of their memories that we don't even know about. I just, I mean, obviously she is central to what is going on there and everything and um Definitely looking forward to how that's this is going to unfold. Yeah. Now, you know, I've got a lot, a list of questions, and and we'll see if we've got time to run through. Probably not all of them, but but one that my wife and I are having kind of an argument about. We know the hosts can't harm the guests. The guests apparently can do whatever they want. Can they harm each other? In other words, can a guest harm a guest? That's that's a good question. Because they, I think they slightly address, or maybe here's where I can't remember if the, it was something they addressed or something I was thinking about as the the, the show was playing. Because I remember thinking that, like, oh, what happened? Can't well, even like I, in the uh, the original movie, I was wondering that as well. You know, sure, because there's a lot of drinking going on in Westworld. Yes, there is. So if like uh, you know, a guest gets really banged up, and he's got a gun. Well, I guess the guns, oh, because the guns don't shoot other humans, right? Well, we That's don't know. Answer. I mean, I, I don't think so. But but what are they getting in a fight? What if he grabs a bar stool and cracks someone's skull open? Well, you know? like, and that's that was my wife's point. You know, what about yeah. a knife? Because the guns apparently have some sort of electronic computer safety mechanism that it can sense who it's pointed at. Right. Which would then imply that a human pointing a gun at another human, it, it, it shouldn't which, fire. You wouldn't. Which was think. like the most rubbish plot point of the movie, and they brought it over. To, I was kind of disappointed they brought that one over to the TV show. So, all right, now the man in black. He, he says he's been coming to the park for thirty years. Yeah. Now, my first question is why, but he he sort of answers that because he seems to be on this quest as if he's playing a deep level computer game and right. he's convinced there's something here. He just hasn't figured it out yet. But he's just like, like no one knows about this guy, right? Like he's going around doing all this messed up stuff and we don't hear he's no one, none of the higher ups, none of the, the people that we assume are humans, by the way, that, that work there. No one mentions him. No one says, Hey, the, the guy in black went and just cut up that, that guy from the, the poker room. Well, that kind of, we might need to take care of that. Right. Now, you know, the, the mention of a critical failure that happened 30 years prior is, of course, mentioned. And we assume that comes out of the movie. But obviously, sure. the man in black, played by Yul Brenner at that point, was critical to that uh, conflict. 
so again, does you know we still don't really know what the deal is with Ed Harris. I mean, at this point, I, I've got to feel like he is human. He's been coming here for thirty years, which means he's got to be really wealthy. Because what did they say? It was like ten thousand dollars a day or something yeah, like that. But, but or he, I mean, he, like like I said, like it seems like no one knows about this guy, or he's part of it, and. So like that, no one remarks upon him because the stuff he's doing is what he's supposed to be doing. Right. But I just can't see that. So it's like this guy is like operating under the radar. He's like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. Well, again, given the level of observation that they seem to have, you know, they've got that, you know, where, where they zoom out, they've got this big model apparently of Westworld. Right. That, that there is. So I've, I've got to believe they know about him, but you, you could be right. Um, but, but I'm not saying that they don't. I'm just, I, I, I agree. Like, how can they not know about him? But there's like no mention, right? Yeah. Like so, nothing. Yeah. Like there's so much of it. You think there'd be at least a, and that's why I think it's that they don't know about him because Obviously, I mean, like, like he grabs the guy from the poker room, takes him out, and like cuts him up, right? Sure. So, like, w- wouldn't wouldn't they re- remark upon that? Wouldn't that be like, hey, we should, you know, tell the guy in black to bring it down a little bit, you know? Well, I guess you could argue that they've got their hands full with the failure of a number of these uh, hosts, so that you know, at least at this point, maybe. He's flying under the radar in that. But uh, look, as you say, they're aware of everything that's going on. So either they know what he's doing and they don't care or he's part of the bigger picture. Yeah. And we just well, haven't heard about it yet. Yeah. Well, and here's something I just thought about is that you know, if, if he is a guest, like because we think it's horrible when he goes and he what's James Marsden's character's name again? Teddy. Teddy, when he kills Teddy, we think that's terrible because we've developed an emotional bond with Teddy. Sure. But in the eyes of the park, he's just shooting one of the androids and it's no big deal. He's back up and running in a couple hours, so no biggie. So if he wants to go on some psychotic tear and shoot up all of the, the hosts, it's I mean, that's exactly what the park is for, right? Sure. Yep. So that's the other part of it, why they don't remark upon it, because it's probably just like, yep, yeah, yeah he's he's going and act like a serial killer again. That's yep. ah, okay. Now, one of the things that I don't think we'll see, at least in season one, is Roman or medieval worlds, you know, like we did in the movie, but who knows down the road. Yeah. I mean, yeah, on the okay. other hand, I thought that was pretty cool, but on the... Uh, but it was a bit much, yeah. like in the movie, like to have the medieval world and Roman world. Yeah. It's like it's it's already only like it's not even ninety minutes long. Like you're going to bring in other worlds like that. Like come on, just stay in Westworld. Keep it focused. Time, place, and action. Unity. Let's keep it keep it real. All right. Like Aristotle. Said. There you go. Now we mentioned the new software upgrade. So to what extent, if any, is this the root of the problem? I mean, it certainly seems to be, but. My question is whether or not Dr. Ford deliberately introduced this failure that that he intended this to happen. Yeah. And then what's the deal with the army of hosts that are in cold yeah. storage? Right. I, I mean, it's like Attack of the Clones. Uh, it's it's messed up. Well. Right. Because like, well, if, if these are the, the ones that are like irreparable, like, okay, so I, I get you're a bit of a hoarder. 
but you know like maybe if if these are potentially dangerous should we should should you not like you know put them beyond all use in some way or another sure yeah no i agree but you didn't like my star wars reference i i did okay i was with it so I mean, and I don't know. I would, I don't know if it's really Attack of the Clones. And and, though, and well, do we know that they can't be repaired? Oh, no, we do not know that. So I, I guess we just assume that they are in some way irreparable. Or as you say, I mean, there's something else going on, and this is part of it, right? Yeah. Now, uh, the significance of the photo that Dolores's father finds in the dirt. I mean, right? It, it, it can't be a red herring. I mean, it's got to mean something. Well, I think it just, he, he, well, yeah, it, it probably does, but I don't think it was a red herring in that he looked at it and he saw like, I didn't see exactly what was in the photo, but I assumed it was a person in like a, a city, like a modern city. Yeah. Just on the street. Yeah. And he looked at it as like, well, where, where, where is this place? What is this devil magic? You know? And then that caused him to have all the problems and to fail. Like the, when the system failure, because realizing that there's something outside and beyond their their immediate world. So then where's the photo come from? I mean, did a guest bring it there? Because I would think that the guests are probably instructed to not bring anything from the the present to sure. Westworld. They're probably sent clothing, suitcases, but, whatever. But, you know, it's quite possible. You know, like, I mean, someone had a picture that's very meaningful to them. They didn't want to part with it ever. They keep it with them wherever they go. And they just know. dropped it. And they just dropped it. Right. Now, that would seem the logical. I, I think it, it may end up being something a bit no, more nefarious, but you know, we'll sure. see. Now, the writing on the inside. I insi- tend to go with Occam's razor, though. Uh, okay. Okay. The writing on the inside, I mean, it wasn't really writing. It was more like design, the inside of the scalp. Yeah. That uh, Ed Harris takes from that guy. I think he was the guy that was in the saloon, right? That, yeah, uh, right. Was yeah. stealing money, which I, <laughs> I didn't get the point. See, that's the other thing that's fascinating is the interaction of the hosts with each other when sure. there are no guests around. Right, right. So it's almost as if they're learning and they're adding to their experience. And then that will aid them in how they interact with the, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Especially then when we get back to the whole idea of uh, what makes a consciousness, a consciousness. And, you know, so uh, sure. the, the, the relationship between Dolores and Teddy obviously was front and center in this episode. Uh, but apparently the man in black has a relationship with her as well, though she yeah. doesn't seem to remember it. No, but it doesn't seem like a very nice relationship. It does not. No, no. That scene where Dolores is painting down by the river and that family comes by and the little boy comes down and, and, you know, she's really sweet. You know, says, hold your hand out. He'll eat it from your hand. And then he just looks at her. You're one of them, aren't you? You're not real. And, and, And I think then that's the fundamental question. What's real? Yeah. Oh, no, no question about it. And before, you know, in the movie, you could tell because of the hands, right? It was a dead giveaway, but they, they made that modification. So it's really, you can't, you can't tell. Right. But maybe the kids can kind of sense it. I don't know. Well, or is it just that he's been prepped by his parents that, you know, we're going here. This is what the deal is. And he just assumes, or 
as you're kind of uh, implying that that maybe there was something he detected in her movements. Yeah. Don't know. No. But then the last thing that, that we mentioned uh, earlier is Ed Harris's Man in Black says there's a deeper level to this game as if it's a game and that right. he's trying to win it. Sure. And... I mean, obviously, there's a certain amount of obsession that goes along with that. I guess there, as there is in anybody that plays video games, that you you certainly have to be obsessed to win. You know, a, yep. a lot of these better games. Yeah, I like how you take that removed objective uh, kind of standpoint on that issue, there, Dave. What do you mean? The what's the the game you play? The Grand the, Gran Turismo. The, Gran Turismo. Yeah. I broke my steering wheel, by the way. Oh no. <laughs> I, I over I, I didn't bash it with my fist or I, I just over tightened it the, where it clamps on the desk. So I got to go to Home Depot and buy a C clap and jury rig it, and uh, it'll be good as new. But I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored with the game, so right. <laughs> it almost doesn't matter at That's this okay. point. Right. So you got to go ahead and get a Call of Duty then. Yeah. But uh, anything else you want to say about this one? No, it was, it was amazing. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, going tonight. I'm going to go and. Uh, I'm going to rewatch the first episode and then uh, watch the second episode right on its heels. All right. Sounds good. So, all right. Well, listen, let's get to the librarians. Season- oh, yeah, the librarians. Yeah. Season two, episode three, The Librarians and What Lies Beneath the Stones, written by Alexis Alemani and Joe Booth, directed again by Mark Roskin, and this one aired December 8th, 2014. Yeah, you know, I, I know... I feel like I say this every week, but now I think this may be the best episode of the series. Certainly the best episode title of the series because it was a good, yeah, it's definitely good, good, good title. You know, I mean, rife with subtext. I mean, the lies between father and son. Right, right. Oh, the lies. The lies about the permits. Uh, Jacob lying about who he is. Right. Then he even lies to protect his father uh, at the construction site. So, you know, there's, you know, all kinds of subtext going on. Jeff Fahey, I love. A lot of a lot of you guys know him from Lost, Lapidus. seasons four through six, uh, and, and playing Isaac Stone, Jake's father. He was just perfect. Uh, the, the dynamic between the two, uh, I mean, just really, in terms of believability, they, they just 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 had well, it. it it's so funny because he does kind of have these same mannerisms even the, the way he talks like um this is probably i think the first time i i watched it since it originally was on i don't know if i picked it up uh when like you know like this time like right away i i because i knew it was his dad and everything so I, I knew that coming in i don't know if i picked up on that right away when i first saw it but now that I knew it, I saw like how his mannerisms and the way he talked was so much like the way Christian Kane talks as playing Jacob Stone in here and some of the mannerisms that Jacob Stone has on, on the show as well. Yeah. And and obviously this is Jacob Stone's episode, you know, his demons, how he fights back against them. Certainly the Clearly. scene certainly the scene in which he fights himself while I guess you could say it's a trite metaphor. It still comes across as, as pretty powerful, especially the discussion between the two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what you like? I, I mean, well, as, as I'm watching this, well, here, here's what 
I, I wasn't necessarily super crazy about when I originally saw this episode and it kind of brought this back is that just like kind of the heavy handedness of some of it, you know? Yeah, sure. Like a lot of what the librarians does is more subtle, but this was just like kind of hitting it over the head with stuff. Though I realized like the big confessional uh, conversation he has with his father, he's actually having with the shapeshifter. So, right. You know? Everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fighting himself was, uh, but, but again, like the telling the truth thing was just, that was, I mean, it's pretty cool. Like uh, the, the things that the characters reveal, except for really, I mean, we learned one thing about Ezekiel, um, but that's really about it. We learn a certain lot more about Stone and we learn a, a, quite a bit about Cassandra as well. Oh, what's that, that he's obsessed with poltergeists? No, that he worked for MI6. Oh, good point. And, and he seems embarrassed and, and uh, uh, sort sort yeah. of sees it as you know something to be ashamed of, right? He, oh, he is ashamed of it, right? Okay. Now, at the risk of sounding like Donald Trump, <laughs> mini skirt with thigh high socks and boots, really? You're going there on us? Come on. <laughs> All right. And they then got- in the, in the background, even Jenkins trying to put the library back in its correct state. We don't see a lot of those two. Every word they utter, yeah, is significant. They they get a lot of really good lines. Well, they <laughs> do. Two. Yeah, so it's great to see them together because it's uh, you know it's some really good stuff going on there. And, and one of my favorites is at the very end when Stone and Jenkins are together, and and he's trying to be the father figure and he can't quite get the words out but stone knows exactly what he's trying to say and while there's a certain level of frustration on jenkins part i think he understands that jones gets what he's trying to say sure so yeah he was just you just saw my dad man like come on (laughs) so yours is nowhere near as bad All right, well, we got opening scene, construction crew headed by Stone's father, and they're waiting for permits to drain this pond. And, you know, we learn right away that he's probably a little shady and that that's maybe why they got hired. It also becomes clear that Mr. Stone is not above circumventing the rules, a.k.a. lying. (laughs) Knows he doesn't have a permit, but tells the foreman to go ahead, okay, Guy hammers in a stake, and all of a sudden the ground cracks, opening up a sinkhole into which this guy falls. And we see right away these little cave paintings, and then the swirl of dust leaves the hole, goes above ground, and it now appears that Andy, the foreman, is inhabited by, at this point, we don't know what it is, but that smile was... Uh, ah, it's so creepy. Very creepy. But... Obviously, we later learned that what we're dealing with here is a shapeshifter, and I think most of us are pretty well-versed in shapeshifters. I'll tell you all about shapeshifters. Especially you Fringe fans. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. You know, they they make for like a a, a really good adversary because they can be anyone or anything, and that was like what made them so formidable in Fringe is that you know that they could completely be anyone you could never catch them really right yeah sure except with the uh, spike to the back of the neck or whatever it was yeah no. right and the thing they stuck in their their down their throat whatever the change and everything and then they bleed green or whatever it yeah. was oh man dude we should 
We should do a fringe podcast. I know there, there's, I know it's been done. Yeah, it's it's been done for by a yeah. You work for Golden Spiral. They kind of, I believe they had a fringe podcast. They did. Oh. I, I think I just need to go back and watch Fringe. That show was so good. Yeah, good point. Because I've only seen them each once. What? I'm pretty sure. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, I might have watched. I might have rewatched once in a while, you know, waiting for Dude, the next episode to I, to come on the air. But wow! So you, I, you haven't you haven't gone through and watched them all? I haven't. I yeah. own all the discs. Yeah. So, oh, dude. All right. Well, anyway, librarians. <laughs> all right. So Stone's working on an academic paper on colonial architecture. Yes. He's still keeping secret. Sounds uh, super boring. Yeah, exactly. But then, my apologies to anyone who's into like colonial architecture. And you know, we, we've talked a, a lot about the relationship between Cassandra and Stone, and how she's been trying to repair it over the trust issue. And it, it certainly seems as if that may be a thing of the past at this point. Yeah, well, I think here was a perfect time for them to bring it up again, and they didn't. So, I, you know, I, I'm glad that that they're just saying, listen, we're not going to keep hammering away at this because that's silly. Right. But what she hammers away at is the excuse that he gives for why he's not using his own name, which is that, of course, he's a librarian and, you know, the library, secret magic. And and she's like, well, Flynn's been publishing under his own name for, for years and he's a librarian. But it's clear it makes Stone uncomfortable. So she just lets it drop at that point. And we're not sure. I mean, we, you know, we know family issues, but obviously we don't know the depth of it in, until really tonight. Oh, you know, I, I, sorry. I'm just, I just glanced at my notes. I, there's just, I don't know if you noticed this, but, and this is kind of going back. So I apologize. But, um, when, when they're back after they pull Andy out from the ground and like all the workers are gathered around, there's like a guy in orange who I swear, I think it's Christian Kane. Huh. He's got like a hard hat on. He's got like a little, Little soul patch and sunglasses. And I my theory is it's Christian Kane because okay. it looks like him. So anyway, I'm putting it out there. Go back, right. do a screen ca- uh, screen capture and uh, send it to us and and tell me what you think. All right. Now I, I love when Jones walks down. He's got the entire catalog of I don't know Night of the Living Dead, whatever. Yes. Um, and Sto- that sounds like an awesome movie night, by the way. Well, but then Stone's confounded that. You want to use the library for its theater? <laughs> hey, movies are just books with better pictures and yeah. less of those words and stuff. Is it is it bad, even though I'm an English teacher, that I kind of agree with Ezekiel on this one? Uh, there's no kind on my end. <laughs> I'm like, what else? If I had a library, I would totally be running through its videos. Like, no question about it. So. All right. Well, the clip- I'll get to the books once I'm done watching all the movies. All right. All Thank right. you very much. Now, the Clippings book alerts to a massive rift in the earth in Oklahoma, and I also I found it interesting that that each of them at first thought it might have been one of their individual books, but no, it's the main book. And you know, obviously, to a large extent, this episode's about the three of them reconnecting as a team. It's almost as if the Clippings book instinctively knows that so even though jones wants to go alone because of course it's poltergeist how could it be anything else even since the three of them go together in in part to work out their issues with each other however 
again, I like that after she does that, she even doubts whether or not she did the right thing right? and, and right. whether she should be going. Well, she's still at that mother hen where she's not really exactly 100% ready to let them go off on their own. Um, also, just to go back to the, the clipping books, I mean, if you remember from last season, you know, we know the clipping book has like a higher agenda, right? I mean, like last season, it had led them to, you know, basically all everything, everywhere it led them brought them to a place where they could defeat Dulac, okay. right? Sure. So to say that it purposefully picked this one because it realized that the three had to get back to learning how to work as a team. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? And the fact that Stone's father was really at the heart of this whole storyline, that's probably not an accident. No, not at all. Well, there's there's no accident with, when it comes to the, the Clippings book, I don't think at all, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so they get out to the site. We've got protesters claiming it's a sacred burial ground with native art. Stone, of course, notices the truck's logo right away. And then did you see the look on Cassandra's face when Stone says, hey, Pop, a, a mix of, you know, horror and, and joy? Yeah, I think it's more than joy. Yeah. It, kind of, it kind of reminded me of the look when she, when she found out about Santa Claus. Oh, right, right, right. Well, yeah. and, and then, in fact, when Stone's dad is, is less than welcoming and Jake goes closer, she shushes Jones, I want to hear every word of this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like, all right, just natural curiosity or something else, because Jones doesn't seem to be all that interested. This is well, like- she, she says it's – like the best reality show ever. Did you did you catch the I, name of the reality shows? Oh my god, yes. Stoned again. Stone Age. Family Stone. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I think Stone looks over at them like Yeah, he, he gives them a look like that yeah, that, that's enough. Yeah, right. I can hear you. <laughs> and then really, I mean, it becomes a really heavy scene because the tension between father and son is palpable and, and he just continues to denigrate jacob yeah so i I, here is then the other part that i thought was that which i I don't i don't i don't think i'm giving this one an a by the way dave just just to forewarn you okay because like how do you absolutely have no clue at all about your kid like he doesn't realize how smart in fact not only does he not realize how smart his son is he thinks he's an idiot well, but right. we get the idea that in high school, he must have been a football player. Dad mentions right. something about that. So uh, I'm assuming that it was one of those things that he just didn't even try. But but when you're- I know. You, know, you, you see your kid and they're, they're growing up and you, from a very young age, you know, like if your kid is as talented, as brilliant as Jake, it's- it's not like that's going to – I can't imagine that being a surprise to him not knowing. I, I know what you're saying. And I guess you, you know? could I guess you could answer that by saying that, that the father was drunk, self-involved, not around. I mean, may, all of the above maybe. But I, I know what you're saying. But, but he, had, he had a wife who I probably know. said, hey, you know, Jacob is reading already and he's three years old. Yeah. I don't know if that happened, but I'm just like an example of like, I'm sure he must have done all kinds of amazing stuff as he was growing up that his dad would have had ample opportunity to realize, but he thinks it's one thing to not realize the level of your son's genius. 
right? Yeah. Because first of all, every parent thinks their kid is a genius, right? Sure. You know this, Dave, <laughs> from where we work, right? Yes. Every single kid we teach is 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 brilliant and a college division one athlete. Yes, absolutely. But to to not just realize the level of your son's genius, but to actually think that he's stupid. That's just like I, I that was just like too much for me to 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 believe. You know, that went beyond my um my acceptance of, of believability here. Oh, yeah, but I think they're just trying to paint a picture of just what a despicable human being this man really is. Uh, and that, I that, agree. I that, absolutely agree. I just think they went too far with it and didn't like made it too unrealistic. Okay. Made him too much of a monster. All right. So I guess then the sexist remark about Cassie just that's that's <laughs> Well, I get I mean, like, I get it, right? They're trying to show this guy is just, like, a total douche, right? Yeah. But, like like I said, I mean, they, they push it to a they, – they make – it seems like they make him more of a caricature. I didn't really buy him as a realistic character. Okay. All right. Of course, the show's about magic, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, now, it was really interesting, you know, the, the protester stops their truck at the gate, demands that a Native observer be present, and, and it takes Jake – to convince his father to allow this guy. And apparently he used something his dad once told him to get him to agree, which again, I found pretty interesting that a, he clearly has a lot that he's taken from his father. Now, granted, maybe it's a lot of what not to do, (laughs) but, but still, and then I found it interesting. Jones is alone in the back, even though he's the expert. Yeah. 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 All right. So well, they- I mean, I mean, that, that's, I mean, just it's see, this, you brought up the expert thing, like how this his complete. I mean, Grant, you think your son betrayed the family, but it's your freaking son. You haven't seen him in how long, and all you could do is be a complete ass to him. Like, yeah. see, that's I just I just couldn't I couldn't accept it. I think even the worst dad is going to be thrilled to see his son again after that know? much time. You would think, yeah. And in fact, they, they get to the uh, job site, Isaac's going down and Jake tries to go right behind him. And he's like, no, gives the hard hat to, yeah. to Jones who immediately puts it on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and Cassie at this point looks really concerned about what they're going to face. And when she verbalizes it, you know, Stone says, I think anywhere that man goes is unsafe, which obviously, uh, you know, covers a lot of different levels, but you sure. know this ongoing hostility between father and son. So, I mean, I get what you're saying that that it's just you just think it's just a bit too much, and, and it's you know you use the word caricature, and 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 I get what you're saying. Yeah, so. I mean, that's just I remember from when I first watched it, just kind of being like, I just really couldn't accept that that this guy was that despicable and would have. I don't, I, get, I mean, like. Yeah, like I, 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 the most believable part, and the part that really hit home, was at the end when Jenkins says, "You know, it's father and son relationships are really complicated." Sure. And I'm like, "Yes, there you go. There, here now that there is some truth spoken here because everything I saw with Isaac just, uh, like I said, it just I don't know, it's just too much. Right, right, but they don't have to be that divisive, of course. They can be complicated sure. without. But I think it wouldn't be too hard to to write him as a more nuanced character. You know, he could still be pretty much a prick, basically, but still 
actually be happy to see his son and you know and have more to his character than just being a drunk and a jerk yeah right yep which is basically all they all we get out of isaac yep and i'm defending this guy it sounds like i'm defending but i'm not like he was a ridiculously horrific person uh, as as his character all right. Well, speaking about characters, they 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 finally get down into the uh, cavern. We see the dust swirl, and then there are two Isaacs. So again, at this point, we're not really aware that it's a shapeshifter, but uh, obviously something magical. And we're wondering whether there's only one of them, and if so, right. why does it go back in the tunnel after it's been freed? Right. Although I guess later we learn that that really what it's trying to do is just basically cause chaos and mayhem, and sure, maybe it figured that's where the people are, so that's where the chaos can be creative. Lights start popping; they're here. Yeah. <laughs> so Jones finally gets to say something affirming and from Poltergeist too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then of course the uh, native representative gets knocked out, and everybody blames Stone's father. So. Above ground now, it appears that Stone's going to have to clear his father's name, knowing it wasn't him. And, and of course, they're librarians, so they, they understand that there's something weird going on here, whether it's magic, science, they don't know at this point. But now he's got to battle Jones and Cassie, who, though they know magic is afoot, also saw his dad slug that guy. Right because everybody hasn't put everything together right. at this point. Right. Yeah, well, it's funny because they believe that Isaac is the type of guy who would hit this guy. Sure. But it's only when, like, it's Cassie that is doing the evil, you know, evil Cassie's going now. Now that's when they question and come up and realize it was a shapeshifter, right? Because yes. they can't accept that Cassie would do something as nasty as, as the evil Cassie did. Yeah, and eventually they call the library, talk to Jenkins, and we see it's just killing Eve to be trapped at the library, if you will, instead of in the field. Uh, Meanwhile, the dust has doubled Cassandra, as you said, and and I think we all love evil Cassie because, you know, we've seen her before. Sure. um, And and at this point, we have to assume that there's only, only one double at a time can exist, so the Isaac two form and two are no longer around, uh, right? Yeah, which I I I clearly remember. I, even this time around, I couldn't remember whether it was just one or whether there are multiple ones. But yeah, this is the point when we realize it's just the one. The, the next time we see Stone, he's at his dad's, who's working on his truck. Now, uh, some of you guys out there alerted us to this, but did you notice what Stone does? Oh, he uh, he does, he twirls the wrench, right? Yeah, the little wrench flip. Yeah. <laughs> Stop trying to fix things that are always broken. Okay. Yeah. Again, we, you know, we get it, and 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 you know, maybe you're right that that they're hammering us over the head with that, but I I, I still like that. You know. Well, it's. I mean, know, metaphor for their relationship, of course. It, it's just. Yeah. Exactly. And this. All American kind of moment, uh, the dad and his son working on the, the car, right? And what I think this is actually the most realistic thing when it breaks down to the dad and the son arguing as they're working on the car, which probably um, has happened 
way more than the let's you know this idyllic moment that actually in reality almost always at least it did with me and my dad yeah. uh you know oftentimes turned into arguments and you know about who was right and what you're supposed to do and everything so as opposed to hey dad you want to have a catch right that you just I, that that gets me are you yeah. talking feel the dreams absolutely yeah yeah that that's still that's still that i'm i'm choked up a little bit right now dave yeah, yeah. all right so <laughs> The real Cassie and Stone return to the library, meet with Jenkins, who tells them they're dealing with a shapeshifter. So this is the uh, the point at which we first hear that there are many types. Uh, the commonality is that they feed on lies and the chaos wrought by lie. And Joan's like, why don't they just go to D.C.? Yeah, that's a fair question, right? It is. You know? and, and maybe and apparently they would they just need to kind of build up the the stamina it's for the like i guess you know it's like for the trip from oklahoma right right start out in oklahoma work your way across the midwest eventually as you get further east then now you're ready for dc but what jenkins says is that their goal is to consume and wreak havoc and i'm wondering is this a commentary on our consumptive lifestyle in contemporary oh, sure. American society. Yeah, I think. When you write it that way, it obviously, it, it basically, it sounds like they're not just referring to these shapeshifter creatures. Yeah. Sure. Now, obviously, Eve's primary goal, I mean, I mean, certainly find out what's going on in Oklahoma, but get these three to work together as a team. And Cassie- Oh, I thought it was to kill John Connor. Yeah. Cassie and Jones- <laughs> realize that stone's there alone they've got to return and eve tells them she's going to come they tell no we got into this we'll get out and that like wow <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's that's the big moment right when they're, yeah. they're like let's no don't stay there we got it i'm yeah. like oh the kids are growing up and, and, and then jenkins reaction is just priceless proud or sad yeah little of both it's like Prad. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think she's more proud than sad that she's not there. Right. But, but you know, this is like kind of like as with parents that we see with teachers all the time, right? I mean, we, we nurture these kids, we help them along, and they go and move along and do great things in their future. And, you know, maybe they remember us, maybe they don't, but, you know, like we, we, uh, we have that mixture of, you know, I'm I'm proud of them for what they've done and, and, and they moved on. But also a little sad that, that now they, they don't need me anymore, right? Yeah. Now, I was a little surprised. I, I don't want to say shocked. I don't think I was shocked. But when they find Stone drinking alone at the bar. Yeah. That's and, a and, character, and, right? and if you notice, when he does do the shot, it's like it's like he almost, you know, like you know, shakes his head. He's clearly not used to doing shots. I drink alone. Right. But it's that yeah, whole all by sun. myself. Yeah, but I mean the son doing what the father does. I mean, doing what, what you despise your father for doing. Exactly and what he despises it. about his father, right? What's that? Yeah, exactly well, what you just said. It's what not not just what his dad does, it's what, what he hates that his dad does. Sure. As a matter when they're working the car, the dad pulls out the flask and offers it to Jacob and he's like, nah. You know, like he has this look on his face, like, like one of disdain. Right, I'm above yeah. that. Right, I'm better than you. But you know, Cassie, and I guess, and I guess it really speaks to his relationship with Cassie, 
that when the shapeshifter, as Cassie, tells him, you know, makes him feel bad, it drives him to this behavior that is so far from what we expect and know about him. Yeah, that's good. I didn't pick that up. That That's exactly right. Well, thank you. Yeah. And then, of course, she goes and blows up the cars with yeah, the well, dynamite. You know, um, the, well, there's the dynamite's just sitting there. You got to do something with it, right? Oh, no question. So they've got to figure out how to return the shapeshifter to its original hole because, as Jenkins says, it's pretty hard to kill him. Trap him? Eh, not, not so hard. Yep. And Stone reasons that there can be no more lies. They've got to get people to start telling the truth. And, and I'm thinking, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Is the rift between Stone and his dad built on lies each has been telling about each other? So, of course. I mean, but did it start small and then just escalate or... You know, I mean, I mean, Stone sort of crystallizes it to he brought me in to the business, Stone and Son, but he never called it Stone and Son. I mean, right. really, that that's what that's what cheesed you off. Yeah, well, I mean, you, I mean, you could just see from his dad that it wasn't just that. Yeah, and uh, and actually, he was in. I mean, what drove him away was. The library, right? Yeah. He was in Oklahoma. They had to go to Oklahoma to find him. Right. So he left the family business to go be a librarian. Well, true. Right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the three go down in the hole, and that's where we get our awesome Firefly reference when Cassie starts explaining to Jones about computing spatial distances while watching television. Because, uh, you know, figures Nathan Fillion's six foot two. Then it takes what, like forty some steps to, to across Serenity. Across Serenity, that's just like, oh, oh, which means Serenity is two hundred eight feet across. Well, yeah, yeah, it was just awesome. That was awesome. Um, it was so good. But we return to the snake painting, which I thought initially had something to do with the Serpent Brotherhood, but of course it doesn't. Or at least we don't think it does. But Stone Man, touches. Freud would have a field day with you, brother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he touches it. Reveals a tunnel, a door at the end, which just automatically opens, which, okay. Um, okay. I guess they're librarians, so they're used to, I'm not sure I would have gone through well, that. Well, they, they, had to, they had to say a truth, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. So, so it's all in stones, like, we got to, you know, t- tell the truth always. And the, uh, they said, don't say the truth will set you free. <laughs> all right. I won't say it, but. It you know, of, I mean it. Yeah. <laughs> So then they've they've got to start uttering truths that have some emotional weight. And and what a great narrative device to reveal character, though to this point it's really only been about Stone, who admits that he thought his dad a failure. And then as you mentioned earlier, Jones admits that he worked for MI6. Right. And and doesn't seem proud of it. And I'm thinking, like, well, why not? What what they're too corporate for you? Yeah, no, he says, uh, Ezekiel Jones stole for Her Majesty's Secret Service. I'm not proud of it, but it's the truth. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's Cassie's turn. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't, you know, okay, so she admits to dying on her own terms, that she's picked a day, and Stone's like, well, sorry. And she said, it's not today, so let's go. But I'm I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? Yeah. That, well, she's going to blow her brains out? She's going to drink, you know, poison? I mean... I don't know. I mean, it seems kind of extreme and I've got to assume it's a decision she made before becoming a librarian. 
but I, I like I like did, did you get like her her rant of trues? Yeah, that was awesome. Did you write it down? Did you remember what they were? Well, I remember the last one was about stealing sheet music, but I don't remember them specifically. No, no, no. Okay, so the ones all right, I, it's still in the future yet. When she's like just walking back and forth because she has to keep the door open, so she has to keep saying truths. Right. Oh yeah, I know where you're talking about. Yeah, a woman who says she hasn't is lying. Oh right. I have an irrational fear of ravioli. I always wanted to be Vietnamese. I hate babies. Like I hate them. <laughs> and then, uh, and then later on, she, this is the creepiest one. When they come in, there, she says, "I watched the light go out of his eyes." <laughs> Like, what? I know. That was, I think that last one was my favorite one because that's just so random. Well, and, and if you watch Jones when she's doing this, he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And then <laughs> when she admits to stealing the sheet music, not exactly a criminal mastermind, but we all have to start somewhere. Right. <laughs> so, okay. Now, you know, I wrote in my notes, not fair. And, and it's that scene that you already mentioned when Stone finds his dad's going to blast the hole and in the course of convincing him not to you know is when all of this comes pouring out of Jacob you know about being a genius an art expert everything just short of a librarian really emotional scene yep and even though it turns out to be fake it's only fake on one end right, right. i mean everything right. jake was saying exactly up to it's, a point. it's cathartic. Exactly, right? he had to get it out. Yeah, so he, it's 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 all good, you know. But I I see what you mean because we want this to be a confrontation. This this is like stuff his dad actually needs to hear, right? Right, and he's been and he needs to say and he needs to say to his actual dad. So it's like he's kind of maybe, but because he gets it out, I mean, we see later, he just is like, hey, see ya, bye, dad, or bye, yeah. pop. You know, like that's all he gives him. Like, no big emotional thing. Just say, "Hey, I'm out." You know, because he's he he has been able to. Con- he did confront his dad, even though it turned out it was a shapeshifter, not his actual dad. He still did confront him and say those things that he needed to say to his face, though it wasn't his actual face. Well, but just a really powerful scene. And again, when you examine it, that it really wasn't his father. It really doesn't lose any of the emotional weight. Well, you know, you, you know what it does is it loses the cheesiness of it, you know, because if they, if it really were his dad, it turns out he hugs him and says, I love you, son. You're just like, ah, oh, really? That's how they're going to play it, you know? Um, so it's, it's almost better that it actually wasn't his dad. True. You know? And it then it takes we, off the cheesiness of it. Well, and he gets to have that final scene with his dad and it's right. He's just like, it, right. There's no change. Yeah. So, you know, now we talked about the metaphor of Stone fighting with himself. And again, that's an important scene because he, again, he verbalizes these things that he's needed to get out. I'm afraid to use my real name because then I can't pretend it's my father's fault anymore. And just that, that whole idea of afraid to fail. And, and, you know, back when Cassie was saying, I left you guys in Peru because I needed to prove I could do it on my own. So they're, they're coming from similar places. And then, Finally, he knocks himself out, carries him to where Cassie and Jones are waiting. Oh, thank God, Jones tells him. <laughs> Not able to take many more of Cassie's right. ad- admissions. Here's one thing I thought, because, you know, like, on the metaphor, you know, like, the, the shapeshifter is stuck. I'm not, I don't think stuck forever. But for the moment, is 
remains in the form of Jacob. Sure. So it's like, even though he's had this kind of liberation and this outpouring of of all these these truths that he's kept bottled up inside of him for so long, um, essentially, it's like he's then shutting them up again, okay. and locking them up in a, in a dark place. You, you mean you mean in the like it, metaphorically, they're 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 binding up the shapeshifter and leaving them there, but he's in the form of Jake, right? So it's almost like well, they're kind of in a, in a way he is once again taking all this stuff that he kept bottled up inside of him for so long, and he's doing it again. Okay, you know. So I guess time will tell. I mean, you know, certainly the episode end. It appears we're making progress, but right, right, because he changes his name on the right, on the right. Paper, right. Ba- yeah, I guess you could argue baby steps. Yeah, sure. But you know, they leave the job site. Stone tells his dad doesn't need his approval and just walks away, leaving us with the shapeshifter scene that we really hoped for. But I guess it's going to be enough for Stone to admit the truth to himself, and and you know, obviously certain somewhat bittersweet but i mean it's pretty much what we expected i guess after really meeting his father sure well you know it's almost like we expected him to go back and kind of repeat that stuff back and say you know have like a heart to heart and kind of try to make things right but say he's just like i don't need your approval bye pop yeah boom drop that mic and leave the room right right yeah yep don't give him a chance to respond yeah because you know it's just going to be another lie yeah, his dad's a prick, right? Yeah, and, and like I said, he, you know, the 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 thing about the shapeshifter is it gave him that opportunity to have that catharsis and have that outpouring of of these these words he's wanted to say for so long to his dad, uh, and he finally does get to say them. And yeah. so, who cares that? He, so it's 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 redundant to do it, to do it again. Yeah, I mean that's what makes this episode so. Wonderful. I mean, the, the complexity, because, you know, in addition to Stone, it explores a lot of the dynamics and truths of all the characters. And, and you know, we've talked a lot about Stone and his inner demons. And the fact that he does not reconcile with his dad, he can at least be at peace with himself. But, you know, like you said, well, we'll see, you know, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Sure. Will this allow him to be more open with the team? I mean, showing Cassie his article would, I guess, be a step. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it seems that he and Jenkins might have had a moment there at the end with a little fatherly advice. And then he and Cass, uh, Cassandra seem to be getting a little closer. Jones, <laughs> Jones is Jones, still, still aloof. And that's, that's, that seems like he's, always, well, I mean, it's, I can't say he's always going to be like that, but that's how we like him, right? Sure. Well, sure. But we don't, we don't want Ezekiel pouring out his heart, you know, because he's not that. I mean, I'm not saying like the character is not deep, but as a person, he's not very deep. Well, you know, when you think about it, I mean, we've certainly seen Cassandra open up, uh, Jacob Stone. Yep. We've yep. seen Jenkins, Eve, Eve. Uh, yep. may- maybe not Flynn. Yeah, that. probably more than than Jones, but right. but not not much. Right. So yeah, maybe this season. Now the fall. Now the falling skies is maybe. over. And then when the three of them return to the library and they, you know, it's like one, two, three, and then Eve holds her hand out and and clearly pay up. Right. He was, he was betting they all wouldn't make it back alive. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was great. 
And then that's a classic. It's such a cliche scene, but I just I love it still. You know, like well, and and again, and you've said this many times. That's one of the the beautiful things about the librarians is that they can take something like that and still make it work. Sure. Oh, it works so well. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, but then at the very end, you know, each of them questions his or her own worth as a librarian, and I, and I guess that's understandable given the world into which they've been dropped. And, and, you know, on the one hand, Stone and Jones are totally understandable. I guess I'm on the one hand, I'm surprised that Cassandra went alone, you know, after Peru that is, but on the other hand, I'm really impressed, you know, that, that yeah. she went alone. But like she is part of her growth, right? Yeah. Is that, you know, she had to prove to herself that she could. And, and, and time is arguably more precious to her. Yeah. She doesn't oh, have absolutely. time to wait around. Exactly. Exactly. You nailed it on the head, dude. Absolutely. I don't have time to like take years to figure this out. I want to see now. And that, that's the thing about her character. She is in the moment, like a lot of the time. Well, I'm still going with an A. I, I know you said be prepared for less than an yeah, A. Yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it a B, B plus. Okay. All right. That's an not too a, bad. I'll give it an A7%. Was that because it did have five paragraphs or? <laughs> I like the uh, I like the the support and analysis that went along with this. Um, uh, no, it was it was overall a very good episode and some excellent lines in there and some really good emotional scenes. But like I said, I just cannot. I I, I just found the character of Isaac Stone to be way too unrealistic and way too much of a caricature, and uh, you know just not believable. And I guess it's just. You know, me as as being a son and a dad, like I don't want to believe that that things can be so irreparable between two people. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I get that. I mean, look, I mean, well, I would say we all had relationships with our dads, but I guess that's not necessarily true. I mean, fortunately, you and I both were able to have relationships with our dads, and, sure. and I think from talking to each other, we had good relationships with our dad, and you're fortunate to be able to continue that but i mean i get what you're saying i mean i i like you know i think part of it for me is i just like the actors so much yeah and he's just so you just want to like grab him by the shirt and shake him you know the yeah. character that is yeah. not the, oh not absolutely the, but because like you know the thing is and maybe this part of it is i like jacob stone as a character so much that I just like to see like the person who should know him probably better than anyone else to just completely denigrate him and treat him like dirt and to act like he's a moron. I just, man, it's just like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It is a little too much to take. Yeah. So. All right. Man. Well, anything else? No, that's, man, we put a lot into that one, I think. We did. That was, yeah. Yeah. You sure you don't want to change your grade? That was good. Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. All right. B plus. I'm, I'm holding firm. You, right. You're gonna you're gonna have to go and arrange a uh, a meeting with the uh, with the assistant principal, and we'll have a formal sit down if you wish to have your your grade uh, changed. Or we'll do uh, what I've eventually come to do. It's like just hand the piece of paper to the parent. It's like you, you just write down what grade you want. Yeah, and exactly. Just, just you know. Well, well, I don't want you to give it to me. Well, then what do you want? All right. Anyway, before, well, actually, you, know, you wait till you hear the title of next week's episode. 
So we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Love to hear from you with follow-ups about uh, any of the pilots that we previewed back in the day, anything you think we should be watching. Uh, Westworld, heck, if you want. Librarians, of course. like to encourage you to join the Facebook group if you're already a member. Spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to discuss Season 2, Episode 4, The Librarians and the Cost of Education. But until then... You know, there was a line here that really I thought kind of is basically... I, I really struck with me that everybody lies. Except me. Wait, the poltergeist line?